0: Welcome to the Itchy Podcast. I'm David Calfee, the editor of Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, a journal of the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. It's October 2023. Three experts in the field join me today to talk about cleaning and disinfection of our healthcare facilities, why it's important, some common gaps and deficiencies, and strategies and resources that we can all use to enhance patient and healthcare worker safety in our hospitals through improvements in environmental cleaning. My guests today are Dr. Philip Carling, Director of Infectious Diseases and Hospital Epidemiology at Kearney Hospital in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and Clinical Professor of Medicine at Boston University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Alexander Peters, the Institute of Global Health at the University of Geneva in Geneva, Switzerland, and the scientific lead for the Clean Hospitals Network. And finally, Dr. Didier Pittet, professor of medicine at the University of Geneva, former director of the Infection Control Program for the University of Geneva Hospitals and Faculty of Medicine in Geneva, Switzerland, and chair of Clean Hospitals. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be with you here today and looking forward to our discussion. Thank you, David. Let's go.
0: All right. Yes.
1: So I know all
0: of you are very knowledgeable and passionate about hospital cleaning and disinfection, but for those of us who may not be as familiar with this topic, I'd like to start our conversation with a brief overview of why cleaning and disinfection of the healthcare environment is an important patient and healthcare worker safety issue that we should all be focusing on. So my first question for you today is what role does contamination of Environmental surfaces play in pathogen transmission and the development of healthcare associated infections?
1: Well, if I may start to answer, we can all answer somewhere. I think that, as you all know, I have been uh, working on the promotion of hand hygiene for, I don't want to say all my career, because I don't think my career is completely at the end, but it's clear that the hand hygiene is very important. But in fact, It's also very, very clear that the environment around the patient is extremely important. The problem is that you cannot discover as much as you want how much the environment could be important in a situation where hand hygiene is compliance is very, very low. So I think that we have to rediscover now that we have improved hand hygiene, the importance of the environment. And for me, it's very clear. And we have conducted recently some studies, including systematic review of the literature, and Alexandra could summarize it for you quickly, where we really rediscovered the importance of the environment. So let's now concentrate on it. It's important.
2: Yeah, just to add to that, as Professor Vite said, it's really difficult to attribute an exact amount of HAIs that come from the environment, especially because there's this cross-transmission between hands and the environment, patients and their environment in settings where the different pathogens in the environment can vary from setting to setting or from hospital to hospital. So it really depends. I think it's very variable But it's definitely an important area, and in our work, we've seen that more and more studies are showing that different interventions within the patient environment are able to reduce patient colonization and healthcare-associated infection.
3: Absolutely. I'd agree, of course. (laughs) But I think, you know, to me, what's most interesting is that over the past decade, we've become much more sensitive to the fact that the asymptomatic carrier of essentially all hospital-associated pathogens, spreads their pathogens into the environment from GI tract colonization. And that concept was first studied about a decade ago with prior room occupant risk studies, but they were small and not very visible. But we've seen, I think, in the last four or five years, much greater recognition of the asymptomatic carrier, and therefore the only way of decreasing the risk of that transmission from asymptomatic carrier to uh, other patients in the environment is through attention to those needs and to look at hand hygiene and environmental hygiene as basically two sides of the same coin, that you really can't address one without the other.
0: Great. Well, I think you've Brilliant. at least convinced me that it's an important topic for us to be thinking about today. But with that in mind, what do we know about the current status of cleaning in our hospitals? How are we doing?
1: Well, unfortunately, we should say that it is not optimal. And we all know about it. And the more you are going on the words, you are on the floor, you are discussing, you are just entering a word and seeing what's going on. If you have this eye on under mental hygiene, I would say you would be most of the time disappointed. So I think that clearly we have now to realize that we can do better. And that would be my very simple take home message. But I'm sure. You all will have comments about it.
2: So we did a little pilot study before we developed the Environmental Hygiene Self-Assessment Framework Tool. And we went into 51 healthcare facilities in 35 countries. Well, not went in. It was an online survey. And out of all of them, all but one showed that they had major, major issues in their environmental hygiene programs. And this data was self-reported. And these hospitals were hospitals that were already working with WHO on some sort of IPC assessment or project or whatever. So we're actually, when we had this 98% of hospitals have major issues with their environmental hygiene, that's actually probably a lot more optimistic than it is in real life.
3: Unfortunately. Yes, when uh, I mean, we'll talk about it later. You folks are the experts. The range of issues with uh, under resourced areas versus well resourced areas is a humongous problem. But in terms of well resourced, I can tell you about well resourced areas because we've been studying the thoroughness of cleaning objectively in hospitals in the US and Europe and Australia for the past almost 15 years. If you don't have a program, a structured program for environmental hygiene to improve it, to be aware of it, the importance of it, your cleaning rates are about 50%. In other words, 50% of what should be cleaned around the patient is being cleaned. If you have some attention, you can get up to maybe 60 or 65%. But with an objective program, feedback, continuous, regularly, quarterly, and education ongoing, etc., you can get well up in the 90% thoroughness range, and maintain it for more than a decade, as the study from Connecticut showed last year. So I think it's a programmatic issue, but obviously with gigantic challenges like any program.
0: I think that's a great segue into my next question, which was, since this suboptimal cleaning does seem to be quite prevalent across all of our facilities, no matter how resourced or not you are, are there common challenges and barriers that we should be thinking about and focusing on if we want to Get started in this improvement work. Are there some common things that are high yield or likely to be issues that we could first focus on?
1: Well, I think that's very important, and that the reason for all of us to try to sit together. We may speak a little later about clean hospitals, but the idea to sit together is really to realize or to help us realize that, in fact, many of us are facing the same problems, or that some problems are faced in many places, where others are faced in other places. And by having all together, we may find solutions that are more universal. And I think this is the key. We have challenges and barriers, and we may discuss some of them, but it's clear that the idea is if we want to be optimal, to optimize cleaning and disinfection procedures, We need to share about these barriers and these solutions. I don't know if you want, Alexandra, to give some examples.
2: Yeah, so I would say that, of course, what everyone thinks of when we talk about challenges and barriers is do we have products, do we have equipments, but that's really only a small percentage of what environmental hygiene really is. So to me, the biggest challenges and barriers have to do with the human factors and the institutional safety climate and the way that hospitals are functioning, the way they're integrating people that are doing the cleaning. All of those questions, I think, are more difficult to address and also have a bigger impact because you can do decent environmental hygiene with very little. So something that I sort of really like about the field is that it doesn't exclude lower resource settings. It doesn't say, well, you need to get to this level of resources until you can do something decent. Environmental hygiene is really something that we can do a lot with very little.
3: Absolutely, totally agree, of course. But I think one of the barriers that I think locally that I've seen over the years is the fact that the environmental cleaning is not done by infection preventionists and hospital
2: epidemiologists.
3: (laughs) Environmental services leadership varies widely in hospitals that I'm familiar with in terms of their understanding and therefore interest of the role of the environment and the risk to the patients and safety, et cetera. Some environmental services directors are very much on board and some are very hesitant, mostly because they're being judged by how shiny the floors are. That's how people look at the how clean my hospital is is how shiny the floors are. We yeah. know that has nothing to do with it. But that's what they're being judged by. And they're the ones with the budget, unfortunately. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if I want a new disinfectant for my hospital that's more expensive than the old one, I have to go through environmental services who's saying I need a new machine to make the floors cleaner. So that's a focal barrier that I see.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we Fully see that agree. as well.
3: Yeah. Fully agree.
0: And I think as you were alluding to, I think it's a complex process. It may sound if you're kind of from the outside, oh, it's cleaning, it's easy, but as yeah. you point out, Alexander, it's really complicated. A lot of different people, a lot of different products and supplies and interactions, institutional safety culture. And I'll just point out for people who might be interested in that topic further, back in 2016, Claire Rock and her colleagues published a paper in Itchy that talked about a human factors engineering approach to improving patient room mm-hmm. cleaning and yeah. disinfection, which addresses a lot of those. Topics. It doesn't give us all the answers, but I think it's a nice framework to think about how complex this topic is when we're trying to implement change.
2: Absolutely. And if I could just add one last quick thought, I think healthcare facilities get what they pay for most of the time. So if you're cutting budgets from environmental hygiene and you're outsourcing to really the lowest bidder, it's not saying that outsourcing is necessarily bad or doesn't work as well. But when you're doing it to save budget, very often you get the quality that you're paying for.
1: You pay less, you get less, right? (laughs) But the good thing is that even if you, as we said earlier, and we have seen it in developing countries, even if you have nothing or almost nothing, but you do your job the way you're supposed to do it, you can get very good results. So I think this is the optimistic view of making sure that we can all work together to improve globally
0: yeah again, another great segue into my next question, I think. and I was then going to go into talking about, you know what do we learn from previous research or practical experience? in terms of strategies that we might want to think about that can be helpful in overcoming these challenges. We've heard about in overcoming barriers in our hospital cleaning. And I know that you've all been focused on this. Phil particularly has been doing a lot of research in many countries, but love to hear what you think some of those strategies that might be particularly
1: useful are. Well, I think uh, maybe Phil, you should start.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, to me, it's Objective feedback of process to the best degree you possibly can. I was totally shocked when I first started doing this and working and seeing environmental service workers and talking with them that they actually appreciated being evaluated. Mm. Once they got past and were able to be gently shown that they could do better, they really appreciated it because, of course, this gave them a sense of importance and of being seen. And it's been an amazing thing for me to see over the years is that this is very consistent That because they're conscientious people, but they've never been taught well, maybe, or they haven't been given the feedback that they need to be in an objective way, not just subjective.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting. Objective feedback. That's one of the most successful ingredients of the multimodal strategy for promoting hand hygiene. And we should mention that for environmental cleaning. We also need multimodal strategies. So it means that it's not only the product, as we said earlier, it's the way to use the product, the way to behave, the way the healthcare personnel, the health personnel, whoever you call them, would actually understand the value of their work. And these multimodal strategies now are very clear based on systematic studies. We can demonstrate studies after studies that, If you have a multimodal strategy that includes training and education, monitoring and feedback in institution using the appropriate product by the appropriate people, who knows what to clean and when, and what are the high touch surfaces. I mean, it's multimodal. So it's clear that you have to understand all of these. And of course, that you have to have the institution be ready to sustain and support the action, which is what we call the institutional safety climate. So I think that we have solutions. We need to learn how to apply solutions. The solution could be adapted. In the different hospitals, in our hospitals in Geneva, we have the people who are the one who who are in charge of ambiental cleaning are coming from Portugal, Spain, Kosovo, and so on. So we need to adapt to the language. We need to adapt to the culture. We need to explain differently than to other people who probably are English or French-speaking people. So it needs to be adapted. And Alexandra could give you a lot of examples that she studied and maybe to highlight what we just said.
2: Yeah, so if we go back to that pilot study, we saw that 16% of the environmental service workers that we looked at, 16% of them weren't able to communicate with nursing staff because they didn't speak the same language. Only 25% of institutions had comprehensive training programs in place. So 75% of them didn't. And only one quarter of the institutions allowed for easy upward communication just to the direct management by environmental service workers. So I think we're starting from a really low place, globally speaking. And I think What's going to be really important in improving hospital cleaning is just keeping in mind that it's important to go back to basics. All of the most expensive equipment and automated technology in the world is not going to help you if you don't know how to correctly wipe off a table. And it really does come back to really basic things.
0: Yeah, It sounds like a lot of common themes that we can probably all approach together, but probably still important to get out into your patient care units and see what's going on locally, understand that context, because there may be specific factors that are contributing in your institution that might not necessarily apply someplace else. So that whole idea of understanding your local context that we've talked about in a few previous podcasts, I think probably applies in this situation as well.
1: Mm. Absolutely. 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 Great. Well, we've been talking
0: a lot about the importance of environmental cleaning and the relatively high frequency of deficiencies and the need to assess practice and introduce a lot of corrective interventions. And I suspect that can sound pretty daunting if you're listening to this podcast, particularly if you're new to the topic or you're really just getting started in this quality improvement work related to environmental cleaning. So I think maybe our listeners might be wondering if there are any resources available to help them in these efforts and not having to do it on their own or alone without help. So Alexander and DDA, during the introduction to the podcast, I mentioned that you were both involved in something called Clean Hospitals or the Clean Hospitals Network. Alexander, you're the scientific lead, and DDA, you're the chair. Can you tell us about the Clean Hospitals Network and what that is trying to do and what it offers to participants?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, with pleasure. Above all, clean hospitals uh, result from the envy to get the best people together around the topic and try to find solutions that could be universal and also adaptable to different country resources hospitals type of care. It's called clean hospitals, but we should call it clean health care facility or whatever you want. Clean hospitals is may be more understandable and the first thing is that we have the fantastic chance to have an international group of experts. And of course, today we are totally biased because all of us are experts. You, David, are a member of our international expert. Would you feel are a member of our international expert group? So we try to get a team from around the world of people interested in the field of healthcare and environmental hygiene so that we could actually share together. And we also invited, so we are academic physicians, but also academic people in touch with the reality of everyday in hospitals. And we asked also company to come on board. Why? Because companies have the tools. Companies are most of the time people who are educating the healthcare environmental staff and so on. And we'll try to have all these people together, coming with products, coming with machines, coming with IDs, coming with research. And we actually try to get everything and everybody together in order to move ahead in the field. We all know that it's very rare to have junior faculties coming to you and telling me, I want to do my career in environmental cleaning. So we say, why don't we do it as senior people, try to get other people engaged with us. And yes, we started this program in 2018. And Alexandra will give you some more details of what we have been doing until now and what our future and perspective, we'll be happy to discuss it. So Alexandra, maybe you can give an example or two of what we have done.
2: Yeah. So basically, we're really trying to break down the silos and the walls in between the industry and the academia and Hospitals, And the reason for that is because very often environmental hygiene managers don't get to see anything except for the institution that they've been in for the last 25 years. There isn't this culture of exchange the way that there is for medical staff, for instance, that do residencies elsewhere, etc. And it's traditionally been... You know, push to the bottom of the list of things to do as far as hospital management goes. So, what we want to do is to raise the visibility of environmental hygiene on a global scale. We want to allow the companies that do join us, that get vetted and that have similarly aligned goals as we do. What we want for them. is that they have access to a group of academics that can give them the topography of the field because they might be very specialized in a very small niche expertise that everybody can benefit from knowing more about, but that they can benefit from placing into a larger context. We also have working groups with the company, sometimes with CDC, sometimes with people that work with WHO, with different associations and organizations to work on academic Projects so that the scientists that are from industry can work in a very sort of, I don't want to say regimented, but a very controlled way and contribute to the fundamental research without any issues of bias or anything, any agendas sort of coming into play. So that's something that's interesting for them. And we're working on different tools. We just launched the Healthcare Environmental Hygiene Self-Assessment Framework that really allows facilities to walk through their environmental hygiene programs, identify areas for improvement, and then they can talk to the companies that they work with or the administration or whomever to start troubleshooting or addressing those gaps and trying to improve their level overall in order to keep their patients and their workforce safer.
1: For those interested, the way we model the clean hospitals model for development is exactly the same model we use for the Clean Hands, the initiative that I led actually for the World Health Organization. The difference here is that really the academic physicians and the companies are working closely, even more closely together in order to spread the message and transpose what we learn from each other. A fascinating experience and journey.
2: And the purpose of the tool is really because no one's ever had a global snapshot of environmental hygiene around the world. We really don't know what that even looks like yet. And so just having an idea of what is our baseline, what are we working with, and then having a tool where people can benchmark against themselves and learn from each other, we feel like is going to be really useful.
0: And I think that's important It's a structured way for people to assess their current performance and kind of identify what opportunities they may have and then come back and repeat that assessment mm-hmm. online using that tool down the road and see if they've made improvements. I think that's you know, certainly something that I don't believe we've had mm-hmm. access to before.
1: But it comes back to what Phil told us earlier. He said he liked, you know, feedback. And here it's a feedback at the institutional level, which is frequently, and for hand hygiene, it worked very, very well, because it's frequently received by CEOs or chief management people, like, you know, a sort of way to assess yourself and to improve, because we all want to somewhere improve. So fascinating journey, certainly a long journey, but fascinating journey.
0: Well, and as experts in the field, we've talked to some about the resources available through clean hospitals, but are there other resources related to improving environmental cleaning and disinfection that you would highlight for our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the CDC published a guide for environmental hygiene in low resource settings. There's new German guidelines, new Canadian guidelines, there's NHS guidelines. So even though we don't have guidelines from WHO yet or international guidelines, we are getting, and these are all in the last five years. So the oldest one in that list is from 2018. And so there's really been, I mean, COVID's obviously helped move things along, but there's been really a uptick in interest and in people doing a lot of really good work around the world. And they're all a little bit different, you know, and CDC, I know, is working on some toolkits for implementation, especially for management. And so there's all of these different tools that people can take from and learn from, and then also see what works for their own facilities.
0: Well, also DDA and Alexandra, in this month's issue of Itchy, you published a letter to the editor and you note that October 20th of 2023 is Clean Hospitals Day. So tell us about Clean Hospitals Day.
1: Well, you know that for hand hygiene, we have a World Hand Hygiene Day. So we thought that it should be the same. That's a a awareness raising day. At least it doesn't mean that you will clean your hospital only one day a year. (laughs) But (laughs) but what it means is at least... We hope. During this day, every year, people will celebrate something around healthcare and environmental hygiene. So every year we have a different theme. This year we have produced material. Alexandra will tell you about it. But what is nice is to make sure that at least during this one day every year, people are celebrating and thinking about healthcare and environmental hygiene. And that's very, very key. Think about those who are in healthcare and environmental hygiene every day. It's good for them to know that at least one day in a year, the eyes are turning. To them. So that's why we continue to produce material to make sure it will be an international day where we will all celebrate together. So this year, Alexandra will tell you what we have at the program.
2: Well, first of all, DDA will be speaking at InterClean in China. We have a number of promotional toolkits that the healthcare facilities can access for free and print out and use. There's posters, there's stickers, there's selfie boards, There's a social media campaign where everyone's photos, if clean hospitals is tagged, or there's a number of hashtags where everything will be posted online. There's videos of actually some of your talk at ICPIC. And so there's a lot of material and we just hope that it gets out there and that people are able to use it and, sort of create some movement on grassroots level in their own facilities and start to change the conversation a little bit.
1: We have a website that is www.cleanhospitals.com. So on this website, you find all sorts of instruments. You find the posters of the year. You will find the video right before the 20th of October. And of course, access to the healthcare environmental hygiene self-assessment framework, which this year is the star of the year, because to have this scoring system that took us like almost four Four years, years. four years to develop, it's something that you want to not only celebrate, but to make sure people know about. And as you say, David, uh, it's clear that when you can assess yourself and then reassess yourself uh, one year later or six months later, it's a different story. You know where you are, you know where you go, then you go get the tools and then you progress and that's what we want and that's why we thought it was uh, so important for all of us to share around this instrument this year
2: and it will be available in a bunch of languages before the 20th of october we've been working on that really hard so far we have validated translations in spanish portuguese chinese croatian and turkish I don't think I missed any.
1: No, but, uh, but some, some in progress. There will but, be more. Uh, yeah. there's and some of course, in progress. it's in English to start with. Yeah. <laughs> for you, <Yeah>. it's good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. And I really think that's great and important that you're highlighting the celebration of people involved in environmental cleaning. I think an often overlooked group, that their importance may not always be recognized and acknowledged. So kudos to you for kind of bringing that to the forefront.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Thank you David. So at the
0: end of each episode of the podcast, we ask each guest to give our listeners an action item or a practical tip that they can walk away from the podcast with and put into action immediately to begin to make improvements in their own facilities. So this isn't high in the sky stuff that maybe we'll do next year. This is what can we do now? So the question I'll pose to all of you today is what advice would you give to someone who is either just beginning the process of assessing or improving environmental cleaning in their hospital, or perhaps somebody who's been working on it for a while, but who's now struggling with making the needed improvements?
1: I may start. I know what you would say. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I said, for me, what is something that probably was not realistic or very, very clear from the science and the literature is that we need a multimodal strategy. And, you know, when we discovered and described the multimodal strategy for hand hygiene, then there was a multimodal strategy, or some would call it bendel, doesn't matter, but for bloodstream infection, for UETI, and so on, for all of us in the field. And now we know that multimodal is the way to succeed for healthcare and mental hygiene. So I would say, think about it and go and look in your ward. If your strategy is really multimodal in essence, that would be a good advice that I could imagine. Alexandra?
2: For me, it's get into the ward and talk to a cleaner. Talk to them that if you're lucky, they've been there for a while and they know how things work in ways that you might not. So... Learn their names, talk to them, listen to what they have to say. And I think there's a lot to learn there. Great. And
1: well, don't forget to monitor your healthcare and your mental hygiene yeah. as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. Self-assessment framework as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Feel, feel. Well, that's what I was going to say first. You guys stole my... (laughs) my, (laughs) Well, I I think the tool is, to me, overwhelming. Uh, The detail, the consideration, the effort that went into it is, I think, just like nothing that's ever been done before. And I really congratulate you both for giving us such a wonderful opportunity for self-assessment. So I'd start there.
1: Thank you. Thank
3: you. You 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 have been such
1: a pioneer for us in this field that it comes very, very, very strong to our hearts.
3: Yeah. It's clearly the way to go. And I think what Alexandra said about the line folks is so critical. And these are so unrecognized people. They're so underappreciated. I said a while ago, I had an idea that maybe some way we ought to be able to say, to ask the question, what's the most important thing? If you're a patient and you're admitted to the hospital, what's the most important thing to you after you're admitted to the hospital? The answer was very simple. It's going home. These folks have a critical role in making more sure that you're going to go home alive rather than with an HAI. And to me, that's maybe a message that can be articulated more gently, but (laughs) but I think to me, the bottom line.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Phil.
3: Well, thank you
0: all for speaking with me today and sharing your experiences in this important area and for raising awareness of this important issue for all of us. I suspect you've motivated many of us to go back to our facilities and dig a little deeper and focus a little more closely on our environmental hygiene programs than we have before. So thank you for that. I also want to thank Lindsay McMurray, our producer and the managing editor of Itchy. And finally, I want to thank you, our listeners. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Itchy podcast.